Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am one of your co-hosts, Rob Clark, and with us, as always, Mr. Ed Katz. How you doing, Ed? Hi, Rob, and hello, listeners. Great to be back. It is great to be back. I was going to mention that. We, we took a little break, uh, but it is so good to be back and, and kind of getting together and talking commercial relocation and uh, just all the things that kind of are in that world. And, and this is a topic today that I think is, uh, well, you brought it up, and, and I agree with you. It's a, it's a hot topic right now. I'm participating today so I can find out what it is. <laughs> well, you kind of, you kind of called me and asked me, how has it changed? And, and, and you, you brought it up as a great topic uh, of discussion on the podcast. And I think it is. So I'm ready to kind of hear what your questions are for me. Cause you, you said you have a several and we'll, we'll dive right in and start seeing if we can dissect what today's decommission projects look like. Well, for the listeners and viewers who don't know, I am the, founder and former owner, see, I'm so happy, former owner of Peachtree Movers in Atlanta, Georgia. And over a 24-year period, we did more than 50,000 local office moves. So I am the self-proclaimed, self-ordained minister of office moving, just ask me. That aside, there was no such word as decommissioning back in the day when I had my moving company, which I sold in 2000. If a client had surplus furniture, they wanted the trash, get rid of it. We took it to the landfill and that was the only way we disposed of it. Uh, no, that's not true. When we moved White Westinghouse, we moved it into a warehouse and we had their employees uh, come and look at it on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, after they put their little postal notes and put their names and contact information on them. They'd come back on Sunday. We either helped load it into their cars or they could hire us to deliver to their homes. That was the only time in the entire 50,000 plus moves we did over 24 years that we ever had, I guess, an employee auction. I guess that's what you would call it. But other than that, we would just take everything to the dump, to the landfill. And I'm sure that's changed today. Is that correct? Oh, it's definitely changed today. And I think the, the big reason is kind of to your point back in the day, the company just wanted it gone. They probably didn't really care where it went. Just get it, get it gone. We need it out of here. Where in today's world, the, the decommission, there's such a, uh, an awareness of the impact you have on the environment in today's world, especially in the corporate world that uh, companies want to make sure that they're being very, you know, responsible, environmentally responsible when they need to get rid of a large amount of assets, uh, decommissioning. So they don't want it to end. The last thing they want to have happen, Ed, is for those goods to end up in a landfill. So that that's the biggest shift that you're going to see in today's world. On top of that, you know, a decommission to your point was the furniture. That's what you worried about because back in the day, Everything was, you know, paper and binders and shelves full of uh, books and things like that. Everything was kind of tangible and right in front of you. Uh, you didn't have all the cabling and everything up in the ceilings and all the drops behind the walls and all the IT, you know, things that you needed to operate a business, you know, whether it be AV or security or all these different things that are in an office space now. So those become part of a decommissioning project. Do me a favor, just so we're all singing out of the same hymn book. And I don't mean to 
put you on the spot, but would you clearly define what does decommissioning mean? Well, I think decommissioning in, in simple terms means giving the space back to the landlord, the property manager, in exactly the same condition as when you lease that space, kind of like when you have a house and you're renting or an apartment that you're renting. And so uh, unless you make, you know, some agreement with them that you're going to, you know, something that you've done to that space, you can leave that way. Um, However, they provided it to you. You need to give it back in that same condition. And there's a lot that's involved when you start talking about a decommission project today. So it's more than just getting rid of the furniture and the fixtures and the equipment you're telling me it's more than just how we could dispose of that. It's also reconditioning the space to make it ready for another tenant to move in. Are you saying that right now? Well, yeah, you, you definitely have to clear the space. So you want to get rid of the furniture. But if you start thinking about how does, how does an office operate today? What do they have? Well, they have absolutely they have cabling up in the ceiling. So they have either an IDF or an MDF in their space. That's kind of where all their switches and their telephones and where all their computers are wired back to so that they can operate. So all of that wiring goes through the ceiling and then down behind walls or down through a power pole if they're in workstations. And that's how you get you know the information to the computers where the people are working. Phone lines typically today run off that same wire, so it's on a low voltage. But if you start thinking about just that one component, Ed, of all the cabling, if somebody moved out and left their wires in the ceiling, somebody else moved in and then wanted to put their wires in there, then somebody, you, know, you see where that goes. You have to, I mean, just from a safety standpoint, the heat that can start to generate up in that ceiling uh, can can be very, very big and you want to make sure that you protect it there too. But anyway, my point is you can see that that starts to, you have to address those things once those things start happening. So that's one aspect of it. You think about cameras, you know, you think about audio visual things where you're putting things in walls and behind walls, floor cores where you have cabling in the floor. Uh, All of these things have to be addressed Uh, and addressed means either dealt with as part of the decommission project or agreed to leave the way it is for the next tenant by the tenant and the property management group. So if I still own my moving company today, it's 2022. And I haven't gone to school to learn how to do quote unquote decommissioning. Like you don't want Ed Katz. That would be me up on a ladder. What did you say? Pulling cable. I can see the whole ceiling coming down on me. How do I know as a mover, first of all, that I'm able to do this decommissioning and um, gosh, we never removed anything from the walls. When I had my moving company, that was the client's responsibility to have a maintenance man or one of their own people or hire a third party contractor to come in and remove things from the wall. I don't feel that my skill level as a brilliant as a salesperson, that's who I am, would be good at pulling cable, removing brackets from walls, and certainly not patching walls or repairing ceilings or floors. So help me out here. How do I I know as a mover I could even do this? Where do do I learn how to do it? That's a good question. Let's think about this, Ed. Let's think about the the world of moving. Uh, And and I think you're the perfect example for this. So if we go back and we look at your career when you, you had your moving company, and you first bought it, you started doing things and, and, and you saw that the client had needs 
And you tried to figure out the best way to do those needs. I, I think of copy wraps. I think of the spider crane. I think of a lot of things that you came up with to better service your client. Well, as we jump forward from when you sold it in 2000 to where we are in 2022, technology is just so huge in an office environment. So I think a lot of movers, especially in major markets and, and you know, uh, have, have uh, evolved, shifted to understand the needs of what their current clients are today in the commercial world. And yes, moving, and, and that's a huge part of it, but they also have so many other needs within that space. And a lot of movers are trying to make sure they are a solution for those needs, whether it be related to furniture, whether it be related to uh, anything with IT, you know, to include AV and security, door access, all these kind of things. So once you understand that these are the needs of the client in today's world, evaluating where you are as a moving company, do we have, one, the knowledge to have some understanding of those services that the client needs? And two, do we have it either internally in our office to service those needs, or do we have partnerships with uh, providers of those services in our market that we're confident will do a really good job for our clients. And then we can still kind of help and manage and coordinate the decommissioning project because we know it's going to involve most times uh, more than just moving. Well, I, I do remember this too. If they had good furniture, they wanted to have us help them dispose. We told them in our case, call Richard Strickland. He's the liquidator in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta. He'll come in, give you a price. And he always bid on it all or none. He took the junk with <laughs> the good stuff. But he told me at times he never warehoused anything. He said when he bought it, he actually had it sold. He knew he had a network of other furniture dealers all over the United States that trusted him and knew that he knew he could sell them that furniture at a fair price. So he was a liquidator. So we did actually, when I had my moving company, we had two options, landfill or Richard Strickland. <laughs> you know, so today, what are the other options other than a liquidator and landfill? Can you tell our listeners? Well, I, I, I think, you know, uh, obviously, like we said a moment ago, landfill is the last option in today's world. Does it still happen? It does. But we try to minimize that as much as possible. Um, liquidator is still an option, but you know, we're, we're talking about this and I'm giving you some of my opinions or my thoughts on decommissioning projects and I'm in Houston. So my market might be different than another market, you know, LA, New York, Chicago, wherever. Um, in our market today, the uh, used furniture market is just very saturated. There's just so much of it. I mean, you really you can't give it away. If you're going to get somebody to take it, that's what you're going to do. You're going to give it away. So, um, you know, you, you try to still get liquidators involved because, again, you're, you're an advocate for your client. You want to make sure if there's an opportunity, there's some value to that furniture. You want to make sure they have the opportunity first to sell that to offset the expense they're incurring because of the, the, the move out and vacating of that space. So selling it either to a liquidator or somebody else who will purchase it is always option number one. If you can't do that, you can try to donate if you can to churches, mm. to nonprofits, the United Way, um, those types of organizations. And then you can still get that tax benefit for the donation. So a lot of people will try to do that. And when you do the donation, Ed, a lot of times moving companies might uh, move it to the, the church or the school or wherever you're donating to and write that off as a donation 
as a charitable donation. Um, but in addition to that, sometimes the nonprofits and the churches have a budget. I know a lot of nonprofits, United Way and others here in Houston market have a budget every year uh, of a certain dollar amount that they can allot to getting going and picking up donations like that or paying a company to go get those types of donations that are coming to them. So that's a very viable one. The key in a decommission project to being able to accomplish that is how much time do we have from when we start to do this, or excuse me, from when we know about it and we get awarded the decommission project to when we have to vacate the space? Because setting up and coordinating the donations and the, and the coming and getting of all of this out of that space takes a little bit of time. And if you have that time, that's the best way to you know do it. If you don't, you have to look at other options to get out of that space. Well, here's a silly question that's going through my mind, but I know no question is a silly question. So here it comes. Okay. Who contacts the nonprofits? Are you saying that Rob Clark in Houston, you are going to be calling all these nonprofits to say, hey, we got this furniture. Hey, would you like me to send you pictures? Hey, would you like it? You would just have to pay the relocation costs or maybe the client that's donating donating it will split the relocation costs who is the facilitator who is the choreographer this well, I, I will tell you for me it, it is there's no written rule on that you know it can change for for each situation but typically i have a relationship whether it be with amh uh, uh amha or uh the united way nonprofit organizations you know some churches that are either have built and continue to build different um uh, churches in, in the market so if you have those relationships then i'll reach out to them and, and offer and i'll let the client know that's what i'm going to do with their permission um and then uh they may also say look we do you know most bigger companies have some type of community involvement and it's usually through a, a charity, right? And so they sometimes will go, we already have a charity that we deal with. Let us talk to them first. If they have a need because we have a relationship with them, we'd like to go to them first. If they don't, then we'll come back to you, Rob, and ask you to reach out to your contacts. And then it kind of starts the ball rolling that way. I guess the word I've heard recently is repurpose, repurpose, as opposed to landfill or dispose of so repurpose i guess is a liquidator is going to take it or a nonprofit. well are there any concerns that the client has if it goes to a liquidator or to the nonprofit? i mean do they have to worry about anything before it's delivered well let me let me back up just for a second and mention one other thing that we we want to make sure we talk about is that if the liquidator doesn't want it and you don't have a, a donation place to send these goods to, you know, I'm in commercial sales, right? When we handle these projects, I have clients. Sometimes you have clients who have needs for furniture. They're looking mm. for going into a new space. So you have to remember that as an option too. If, if I say I, I'm doing a decommission that has, you know, 30 offices and 20 cubicles, and I know that I'm going to, uh, I have a client that's looking for 20 offices and 10 cubicles. It's still going to be, you know, you can work out some kind of deal to have them take that furniture. Uh, you know, each market will be different to, to what, how that looks and how that's worked out. But uh, that's an option as well to, to remember that you have current clients that might be looking or have a need for the type of furniture that's in that space. And it's a win-win for both parties. That's what you're trying to do. 
I would have never thought of that. I'll be honest with you. So Rob Clark could also be a broker, I guess. It sounds like it, doesn't it? I mean, again, I say more of a consultant that you're trying to make sure, you know, whether you have clients moving into a space and have needs or out of a space with those needs, you're trying to, you know, always help find the best solutions for those things. So, Well, with everybody seems to be during COVID moving, when you dispose of the furniture, whatever way, and you did mention, maybe I'd mentioned, you know, um, selling it to your own employees. Is that a viable option? Because the employees a lot of times, or some of the employees anyhow, are moving furniture, I guess, from the office into their homes. Could you sell them furniture or get to your employees? Can you gift it? gift it and write it off. I don't know to your, I guess you could to your employees and do they become the owners or does the company still own the furniture, but it's being transferred or loaned to the employee. Yeah. You experience in that? yeah. Typically Ed, you see most of the time, unless they have, you know, some other, you know, they're going to leave the furniture and we didn't mention that. Let's talk about that real quick. A lot of times you could work out with your landlord uh, and it needs to be, you know, asked and presented as an option that, if they don't have a tenant coming into that space, why not leave it furnished? You know, it's kind of like a house, right? It sells better when it's furnished than when it's blank. Um, so if there's no tenant coming in and it's, it's got a good design to it and the furniture suits that space, for a tenant to be able to move in and say, there's furniture here, you can just come in and sit and start moving, it's not a bad option. Now, uh, it j- again, just depends on your market and the building um, and how the design might be based on current culture, what people are looking for in a space in today's world. Uh, That's an option. But to your point, yes, if they don't have a scenario where they've already made arrangements for the furniture, they will offer it to their employees a lot of times. The issue there is the type of space that they're they're, uh, officing in. If it's any kind of class A, class B building, we know that not only do they require movers, They require anybody who does any kind of work, you know, picking up, moving in and out of that building. The building is going to require you have your own insurance. And we know individuals aren't going to have that. So you're going to run into the property managers not allowing the employees to pick up the furniture at the building. So that runs into what you had mentioned that you did in the past. You either take it to our warehouse and and find a Saturday or whatever for them to come pick it up. Or you... uh, you offer a service like you had mentioned where you can, uh, you know, get a list together where everybody is and make deliveries to all the different people who, who need the furniture at their, their home. And, and that's a great option, Ed, because you're right in today's world with the hybrid workspace, a lot of people are still looking for some furniture to use at home. Let me give you a sidebar to that. I was an expert witness years ago for a case where somebody was moving out of an office building on an elevator during the day, during the week, and a vertical file cabinet that was full, right side up on a four-wheel dolly, fell off the dolly and hit another tenant employee in the lobby. And there was a big lawsuit. And believe it or not, guess who was ultimately contingently liable for that happening? Not the mover, not the employee, but the landlord, because he permitted this company to move out during the day, during the week, during common, with going through common hallways, common elevator, common lobby, and the plaintiff won a lot of money against this particular landlord because they allowed a risk to occur 
to the other tenants, employees, when they should not have. So your point is well taken. I'm sure that anybody who's in property management today knows of the contingent liability. So I can see where you're coming from. If a company disposes of its furniture or repurposes it by giving it or selling it to their own employees, somebody who's got adequate insurance and can demonstrate that they are trained, professional, experienced movers is going to be who's permitted, the only one permitted to move the furniture out of the building. Am I yeah, you're exactly right. And what I see most often is what you described. The, the company will pay for us to move it out of our space or out of that office space and into our space. And then it's usually up to the employee whether they want to just come pick it up or if they want to pay us an additional fee to deliver it where to their home. And obviously, if you're going to deliver it to their home, you, you want to, you know, put together a good strategy, depending on how many employees are actually taking things, kind of get an idea of where they all live and with your operations team put together. So it's cost effective to the employees and it's, it's using our resources properly that we, you know, if we have 10 employees living in with, within a three mile radius from each other, we want to put all of those goods on one truck and go deliver them all in one day, saves them money. It's better use of our resources and time. So it's just a, a better way to do things. I'm going to drop a bomb on you right now. Ready right. for this? Yeah. I don't expect the right answer. And then I'll give you an example, and then I'll come in through a back door. Okay. So you move the surplus furniture to your warehouse, and their employees come to your warehouse with their SUVs and pickup trucks, and they ask if they can pay your movers or charge it back to the client to move, to load the furniture onto their vehicles. Are you going to do that? Okay. No. Okay. No. No. Why not? Why, why do you think, Mr. Katz? Well, when I go to Home Depot or Lowe's and I tie something on the roof of my car, guess what? Home Depot provides the cord or plastic to put in my car, the bed of my car, or any way of, and a red flag that, you know, if it's sticking out behind my car. But they will not load your vehicle because they would be contingently liable. And I am told, I don't care how well a waiver is written, where the, the, let's say in this case, the employee picking up the furniture abrogates his or her rights, indemnifies you, the moving company, they sign an agreement and you guys load it into their vehicle and they have an accident because it blows out of the vehicle or off the roof and causes an accident. Um, so that contingent liability is there. My Ed Katz today, who's always looking over his shoulder and minimizing the risk of liability with a, we are sorry, but we'll provide you with paper, you know, cushion paper, soft wrap, whatever, to wrap the furniture with or whatever. We cannot load it into your vehicle. How do you feel about that? We do it the exact same way. That's exactly the option we give when we, when we uh, have that conversation with our clients for the same reason. Welcome, welcome I mean, to America, right? A litigious society. I don't like the way you're looking at me. I'm going to sue you. And yeah. I, don't, I don't blame you one bit. And, it, and they'll always say, if anything happens, I won't sue you. And inevitably, uh, they sue you. <laughs> so, yeah, we uh, yeah. we absolutely do it the same way. We, we do not. Uh, we'll take it out, put it right next to their, their vehicle, whatever it is but they're going to be required to load it. Now, if we're going to deliver it to you, that's different. You're paying us. Now it's going to fall under our insurance, but now it becomes a move where you're going to have either 60 cents per pound per item for the handling of, of the goods that we're handling. 
but uh, uh, you know, typically that's not a big issue. They're not going to pay for a lot of insurance there. The risk, or I should say valuation, not insurance. The risk there right. is minimal, but uh, then we would be responsible because now we're going to be expected to do an inside delivery, right? Cause they're paying for a service. And if we dinged walls or did something now we are liable. So there's some benefit to the, to the customer. If they're going to take the furniture from the company, to me, there's a huge benefit to letting the the mover who's taking it to their warehouse actually deliver it to your home uh, because for that very reason, one, they know what they're doing. They're experienced movers, and a lot of offices might be upstairs. And if you're not knowledgeable and have the experience in moving, we're not talking about a little love seat that's not very heavy. We're talking about a, potentially a desk or something like that. Um there's some risks there, you know, in, in damaging property or hurting yourself. And we always make sure that the clients we're working with understand that, make sure they voice that to their, their employees and make sure that they know they have the option for us to deliver that to them. You know, another option, and I can probably count on one hand the number of times we did this over the 24 years that I own Peachtree Movers, but we'd have a uh, company like Waste Management deliver a 40 yard, whatever that means, dumpster at our loading dock. And we would take the client's furniture and throw it in. Now we never separated out anything. We just threw it in. And in a short period of time, <laughs> we got our wrist slapped by waste management because we way overfilled this <laughs> dumpster. And they went, when they came to pick it up, they had a canvas that they you know, put over the top, which would barely fit over the top because we were about, three feet up the fill line. But I have a client called Business Move, Business Moves Group, BMG, in the UK. They're a huge, very successful client. They have seven branches all over the UK. They have dumpsters dropped off, two or three of them, at their place of business at the different branches. And they have, believe it or not, their employees separate, I was told, uh, the wood from the metal from something else, maybe, I don't know, press board or plastic. And then the recycling company would come and pick up these dumpsters when they're full and whatever the recycling company paid to my client, they would in turn give a percentage of that back to their client. I'll be honest with you. If you gave me a desk to take apart, and separate it. I couldn't do it. How do you, do you do that? And if you do, how do you know how to separate something? I wouldn't know what to do. Well, usually you're just separating by wood, by metal, by plastic, things like that. Um, I do want to touch on one other thing before we go there and I'll answer your question, Ed, getting back to talking about getting the goods out of the space. We mentioned the liquidator and that's always a, a big option for decommissioned projects. One thing I wanted to mention is when you, when you start to have a conversation and start to work a deal with a, a liquidator on, on taking a lot of the furniture, you need to remember to have a rule that you don't let the liquidator cherry pick mm. only the items that he wants. Again, we want to make this a win-win for the, the liquidator and also for your client. So if you had, you know, 50 desk sets and he said, I only want 40, I would tell him you got to take all 50 to get the 40. And in today's, in our market here in Houston, and I'm saying this and you're going, how can you make him do that? I'm talking about when he's not buying the product. If he's buying it, that's different. He can buy what he wants and that's a benefit to the, the dollars earned, the dollars made from that sale would be the benefit to the, to the client. In our market in Houston, nobody's buying furniture. If a liquidator is going to take it, his cost 
to come and disassemble, load it, get it out of the space, take it wherever it needs to go. There's a cost there. That's by him taking it. That's kind of the payment. You don't have that cost now as, as a company. So in that scenario, if they want something, you know, we want to be strategic in what we have them take. If you got 60 cubes and they only want 40, we say you got to take all 60 to get them, you know, and, and things like mm-hmm. that. So make sure you're, you're taking care of your clients when you have those scenarios come up. Good. Really good point. But yeah, separating, you, you always, again, getting mind, getting back to being uh, mindful of the environment, right? We need to make sure we do the best we can. And, and metal is a big one. If you can recycle metal, I mean, you've got all these file cabinets that need to come out of a space and are going, you know, deemed disposal. We're going to take them to a metal shop and let's recycle those. Wood is a lot of times the same way, but most of those things can be separated and taken where somebody's going to handle it the best way possible. So we, we do try to do that as well. Um, and when you th- start thinking about like workstations, they have a little bit of fabric panel or something on them. We don't, ha- we're not the ones who have to go through and, and, and at least in our market with who we deal with, we don't have to, to, to get all that fabric and things off the, uh, the, uh, donation place will take those in and they'll, they'll deal with that. They want all the metal that's underneath and around it. So. Do you take a big desk apart? No, I'm, I'm thinking of a large executive desk. So you just. You do, you do what we did. You just throw it in the dumpster as is, right? Well, up until recently, that was kind of what we did. Uh, what <laughs> we have found, Ed, is there's some new um, services available. So when you talked about overfilling the dumpster and you were like, well, I got it all in there. Just come get it. Well, we can overfill it. Well, we, I don't want to say overfill it, but we can get it to a certain level in there where they now offer services. I know in the Dallas market and the Houston market, where if you think about when a they're repaving a highway and you see that big steamroller and he rolls out that asphalt after they've dumped it out of the back of a dump truck. Well, if you think about the trash as the asphalt that goes into the dumpster, they have a machine now that will come out with that big steamroller type ball, concrete ball on the end, but it has huge spikes on it with that weight and whatever torque it has to push down on it. And you can then smash and level everything in that dumpster. And we can actually do that about three to four times, filling it up, smashing it, filling it up, smashing it. So the cost to have them come out and do that versus getting new dumpsters dropped and delivered and into the landfill each time, it's a no brainer. So that's, that's the way we start to do that now. It sounds like a kitchen trash compactor that, you know, we compress, compress, compress. It's a brilliant idea. I just, I'd have to see it to believe it. I'm sure you're not making it up, but I'm just saying, I don't imagine, I can't imagine compressing a large executive desk, but I guess you're right. Somehow they do it. I guess what they can do it with a car. Well, they can do it with cars. And and think about a trash truck. When they come pick up your trash, they they throw it until it fills it up and then it, pushes it all in and I'm, I'm yeah. assuming what it looks like when it gets to the landfill is a big old yeah. square cube that comes out of that truck. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So that's an option to kind of help, you know, best use a dumpster when you're using them. So if you can't have a liquidator take it and you can't sell it to the employees and you can't donate it to a nonprofit, is your next option then to try to recycle it to a recycler and find out how, and what condition they want it, and if you have to separate it out. And is that your next, on yeah. the pecking order, would that be your next option? Yeah, as much as you can, yes. I mean, inevitably, there's going to be some product that's going to go 
to a landfill most times. Okay. You're going to have something that's going to have to go there. I just we'd like to say we have zero impact, but we don't. There, there's going to be some things that go, whether it's us taking it or from uh, one of the recycling centers that, like I said, pelling away fabric or doing something else. It may go. I wish we could say we avoid landfills 100%, but I know that's not true, and I'm not going to try to mislead people that that's what we're doing. But if we can minimize that as much as possible, that's the goal. I know we touched upon this when we first started talking about decommissioning, but I don't know about you, but when I buy a new computer and I have somebody transfer all the old data onto the new, I'm paranoid about, I gave my computers away over the years to my computer consultant who claimed he gave it to somebody else. But that, that aside, I was paranoid about leaving anything with my identity or anything on these computers. How do you, as the mover, as the facilitator of this project, how are you responsible for getting the data off the electronics that's embedded in a server, in a CPU, or I mean, or in a laptop? I mean, who's no, responsible? Not, not, not getting it off. No, that would be if they want it to be in a condition where there's no data on that computer, that hard drive. That's up to the internal IT department wow. within that company. Um, if they just say, look, we don't want to necessarily erase everything. We don't think it's important data. It's not proprietary or anything, but we still don't want it floating around or somebody to access it. Uh, there's ways to destroy it. If you think about paper shredders in an office mm -hmm. when they want to just, and then the paper shredder company comes and once you, sh and they'll shred it and then you just get rid of it. There are mm -hmm. companies now that do that with hard drives. So they've got machines that you feed these hard drives into and they just shred them and eat them up. Uh, and then you get a certificate once that's been done and verified so that the company has that peace of mind and that paper trail to say that they dispose of those things the right way. And when you start talking about computers, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to dispose of or destroy, get rid of computers versus, um, you know, other types of products. Um, a lot of computers you can still donate to certain types of facilities or organizations who want those older monitors and computers, one, they'll repurpose them for something else. Uh, and two, they, they may send them to, you know, a lot of places will send them to a third world country or something like that to be, you know, redeployed over there and used. Computers get into a whole different kind of world there of what could be involved in handling that product the right way. Because a lot of times too, Ed, you got to remember, if we start talking about things that are going to get redeployed, used in other places, Computers is a big part of that. One, because they're, computers can be expensive. You know, IT equipment can be expensive. And it's not typically big anymore, right? If we talk about a server, server can be two feet by two and a half feet, three feet, whatever it is. Not very big anymore, but it can be a very powerful machine for a company to have and can be expensive. So being able to ship that to another location within the current market or to another location within the country um, is something that's asked of a decommission project manager a lot to make those things happen. And it's not limited to PCs. A lot of times could be an example of when we're talking about deep redeployment here, uh, maybe they, they bought, they opened a new office in a the market. They were there for a year. It didn't work, but they bought all brand new furniture. It didn't work. Instead of giving away or getting rid of that furniture, it's still on the books, right? So they're going to say, well, we got a, an office in Chicago they could use that furniture. We'll get rid of that old furniture and bring that furniture from whatever market to Chicago. So these types of scenarios also come up. So having the ability and knowing that you may need the ability to ship things 
for your client on a decommission project. You need to be mindful of that as well. I'm thinking about the EPA and computers and minerals or chemicals or I don't know what might be in a monitor or a server. Do you, are you contingently, are you contingently liable? Do you have to be certified by the EPA before you start handling and discarding of computers? Yeah. You, you uh, have to take it to a space who, who can do that. And, and so you don't have to have the certification, no. but where you take it must. And what are the, as a mover, what are you looking for when you say certification? Do you know specifically? or I, I don't know specifically. I mean, we always, we, we have a couple places that we use here in this market um, and they have all the qualifications that they need to do that. Because a lot of times too, you can, you can, you can send it to a place that will repurpose that in the right way using it. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of options when you start talking about it equipment um, because a lot of times the, the casing might be what people want, not necessarily the guts. So they'll pull some of the guts out, but the casings, mm-hmm. they can build back another computer within that, that, uh, yeah. So there, there's a lot of different options there with, with computers and things. May I have your permission to bounce back to something that really intrigued me from the yeah. very beginning of our conversation today? Out of the 50,000 plus local office moves that we did over 24 years, only one time, and I mean this, one time did our clients say, hey, we're going to sublet our space to another tenant who's going to then take over the existing space as is. So we want to give you a heads up. We don't want you to destroy the space. Don't mess up the walls, the floors, the doors and all that. Because 100% of the time, we never put building protection down inside the origin, you know, where it was moving from. We would protect a parquet floor in the reception room or a marble marble floor. But I'm talking inside the double doors, inside the space. We never protected it. And you're telling me now that it's not uncommon for in decommissioning that the tenant has to have the the walls in with no holes in them and the, i just can't i can't imagine that yeah i mean if you think about it ed uh and you're exactly right you know and part of that is understanding when you start to engage the client on this project kind of what the building's going to require them to do to turn the space back over and again, it gets back to if they already have a tenant that says, I want that space, but I don't want their furniture, I want it as is, then the landlord's going to say it needs to be no holes in the wall, no brackets on the wall, no, you know, it can be as is, but it needs to be the way we gave it to you. And you're going to have to pull all the cabling back to the IDF and cut it there and all this different stuff to get it ready for that new tenant. Um, and that does mean, you know, Patching holes where a TV bracket was, patching holes where artwork was hanging, patching holes where whiteboards were hanging. All of those things have to, you know, patch and paint. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of work to be done when, you, when you're trying to get that accomplished. And, and as much as you can do or coordinate, help facilitate for your client, it just makes you that much more valuable to them as, as a partner when they need other things. Well, I can tell you one thing. You'd never want Ed Katz patching a wall and spackling it or priming it and painting. <laughs> you better off leaving a hole in the wall. Well, in that Rob, unless you have yeah. other comments, I've run out of questions. I think you've really covered the subject so well. Thank you. I've learned a lot. 
Well, I do want to touch a little bit more on IT, remembering that there's a lot of things there. We talked about, we keep talking about pulling the cabling back, but you have to think about security cameras, you know, and, and getting those down in strategic places. You have to think about door access pads and things like that. So these are also things, you know, audiovisual uh, projectors that are hanging from the ceiling, uh, screens that might be, you know, retracted up into the ceiling. So all of these are also things that you have to be mindful of are, you know, what's our responsibility when we, when we start this project and making sure we have it to the condition that the landlord wants when we turn it back over. So. Amazing. Wow. A lot of things. I see a lot of opportunity for a lot, a lot of movers who are in the commercial arena to get additional revenue streams, diversify the revenue stream by being a full service local office moving company to render all these other very directly related services. I think that's really a wonderful opportunity. I, as I said, just a few minutes ago, I've really learned a lot. It's, it's no longer just back up the truck and dump everything in the landfill. <laughs> no, it's not. We want to be responsible and mindful. And, uh, and I would say, you know, even if you don't offer those services, just becoming a little bit knowledgeable of what the client needs in their space related to those services so at least you can partner with people in your market to help provide those services under your guidance so that you're kind of leading that. I think that's a huge benefit to the client. And it's good for the planet. And we do. Care. Absolutely. There, are, there Absolutely. are future generations, God willing, coming behind us. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a little discussion on the, uh, the decommissioning projects we see today. And again, we understand that each market might be a little bit different, but those are kind of the things that you see and run into when you're uh, handling a, a large decommission project. Ed, fun conversation. I agree. Thank you so much. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And we look forward to having you on the next one. Mm-hmm.